too long didn't listen? If you live with bipolar disorder and you had a period of acute sickness, you probably had to take an extended amount of time off work. How do you explain that resume gap to prospective employers? How do you get yourself back in the mood to go to work? We discuss all of this and more on this episode. You're listening to Inside Bipolar, a Healthline Media podcast, where we tackle bipolar disorder using real-world examples and the latest research. Hey, everybody. My name is Gabe Howard, and I live with bipolar disorder. And I'm Dr. Nicole Washington, a board-certified psychiatrist. Now, Dr. Nicole, before you were Dr. Nicole, you were just a young woman looking for a job, correct? I'm assuming that doctor was not your first job. It was not my first job, no. Were you given any advice when you were leaving your house to go interview for that job? Anybody anybody give you any any tips? Yeah, I, th- I think people gave me the usual advice, right? Like look nice, iron your clothes, make sure you're clean, all those kinds of good things that we tell our kids when they get ready to go out and do stuff in the world. Right, right. The, the firm handshake, look people in the eyes, show up on time, yes. make sure that there's no misspellings on your application or resume. Yeah. Just your standard run-of-the-mill advice. The first thing that I want to say is all of that still applies, right? All of the advice that you can think about job hunting, applying for a job, that all applies. But if you live with bipolar disorder, and especially if you've been off work for a long time, there's some extra. That's what I'm going to go with. There is some extra things that you need to be aware of. And one of them is you might have been placed off work by a Dr. Nicole, and you have to get unplaced off work. Am I using the correct terminology here? Unplaced off work? How about we say return? Return to work. Return to work. Yeah. Dr. Nicole, you use language like return to work and it creates this idea in people's heads that they have a job to return to, like they've been on FMLA or disability or, or just off work. And that could be the case. It could also be the case that you don't have a job, but either way, My next question applies to both scenarios. What do you as a doctor look for to allow somebody to return to work, to medically clear them to go back to work? If they have a job already, then we focus on the job duties. What is it that they are expected to do day in and day out as part of their work? We then take a peek at what were the things you were not able to do when you were acutely ill. So whether you were in a depressive episode or having some mania going on, like what things were you not able to do? And then we just go through them one by one and talk through, how do you feel now? Do you feel like you're ready? And we try to use the interview, the exam to see how we feel. But the reality is somebody being able to focus and concentrate during their 15, 20 minute visit with the psychiatrist may not equate to being able to sit down and focus and concentrate for eight hours a day. So it's a little bit false, but we do talk about what is that person doing during the day? Are they reading? Are they able to focus on puzzles or what are they doing during the day that would give me any indication that they're actually able to fulfill those duties? I imagine it is very difficult to determine if somebody is ready to go back to work because the reality is, is if somebody goes back to work too soon, it could have consequences. It's not good for us, right? We, we could have an issue at work and then all of our coworkers will see it or the the people around us will see it. This could lead to termination. It, It could lead to setbacks in our medical care. So it's very important that we work with our medical providers to get this right. As much as we want to get back to work, 
We want to be ready to go back to work. Now, I like what you said about really breaking down what you do in a day and if you can handle it or not. I always tell people at this point, hey, go back part-time and see how you do. And if you have a job that you can do that, that is the advice that I highly recommend. Go back part-time and see how you do. I definitely recommend part-time, especially if you have a job and you're returning to your job. If they will allow it, I think part-time is best because I I think there's very little downside to having you return slowly just to kind of increase your chances of success once you go back full-time. I think a lot of times when people are ill enough that they have to take extended chunks of time off work and then when they go back, there's always that anxiety about, but what if I can't do it? But what if... What if I mess up or what if my symptoms come back? And so I think the part time also kind of eases the anxiety of the person. So if your job is willing to let you do that, I fully recommend that. I mean, if you don't have a job, I still recommend look for a part time job first, Uh, maybe volunteer first, something very low stakes, right? If you financially don't just have to have money coming in, I don't want you to be homeless volunteering because Dr. Nicole told you to volunteer first. The reality is some people can't financially afford to go back part-time, but volunteering is a great way to see if you have the stamina to make it for a full day, not in your house, not in your pajamas, like dressed up, interacting with people. Volunteering is a fantastic way to do that. But if you need to make money, then we need to be very realistic about what kinds of jobs you apply for. And I would say when I see people really, really struggle with being able to go back to work. Sometimes they choose jobs, especially if they're going for a new job. They choose jobs that really are not consistent with their ability at the moment, right? So if you know that talking to people and interacting with people is tough for you, getting a job as a waiter or a waitress is probably not a good idea. But night stock at Walmart might be fantastic because you then don't have to do a lot of interacting with folks. You can just do your job, put your headphones on, put your head down and mind your own business. Dr. Nicole, I agree with that 100% because I did it. And I would love to tell you that the did it was got the the low stakes job and eased into it. But nope, I went the other way. I got the very (laughs) stressful, high end job. I was a network support person. It was my job to watch a multi million dollar network, a national network that if it went down, the company lost like $3 million a minute. And I know that because whenever the network went down, a whole bunch of people were yelling at me, Gabe, fix it. We're losing $3 million a minute. And the, the, the panic would immediately set in every time there was a blip on the screen that I was monitoring. I'd start to have a panic attack. I made myself sick and I just kept saying, but, but the job pays so well. I I need this money. I need this health insurance. And I ended up, I ended up walking out, literally walked out in the middle of an outage. I tell this story one, because it shows that I'm a dumbass, but two, nobody cares that I had bipolar disorder. I was hired to monitor a network in house so that if anything happened, if the network went down, I was already there. And I just got up and left just got up and left. Do you know how fast word spread around that Gabe Howard will leave in the middle of an outage? It became impossible to get a job. 
What, what do they say? Bad news travels around the world three times before good news gets its shoes on. This was quite the story. I believe that. Oh, my gosh. Do you think it was a little bit of ego, too? Like, do you think it was a little bit of I'm not going to take a lesser job because. I have a degree or I have this set of skills and I'm going to use them. And is there a little bit of that that goes into you choosing to go back to a job that the writing was on the wall that wasn't going to be successful versus maybe choosing something that was a little mundane, maybe even below your ability just temporarily to help you build some confidence, have some money coming in, kind of build back up to that high stress job? For me, I didn't understand the ego part for me was based on the misunderstanding. I I really thought that bipolar disorder was one of those things that once diagnosed and you started to be med compliant, it was over. I believed sort of the, the talking points, right? Take your meds as prescribed, be med compliant, do what the doctor says, and you will have no problems. Well, I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. I took the meds as prescribed. I was med compliant. And I followed my doctor's orders. Therefore, I should be fine, right? That's what we hear constantly. If only that were true, my job would be so much easier. Yeah. Yeah. I believed it. I went back to work, fell right on my ass. It was brutal. You know, I was fired from a job and then I got another job and, and then I walked out on that one. I was making a real name for myself. <laughs> but doesn't your self-esteem take a hit when you keep having those kind of experiences? I mean, it would seem that you probably would have felt a lot better about yourself and your ability to take care of yourself and all those things if you had gone the opposite way first and took the lower level job first and built your way back up. I dove headfirst into this job that I could not handle because I thought that was what was best. Luckily, after all that happened, my family sort of circled the wagons around me and I was able to take some time off work. I was able to take about six months off work, which made all of the difference. I got stable. I understood medication. I learned limitations. I, I volunteered. <laughs> I did a lot of stuff around the house. Right. And that's what I want to touch on right here. So now I have this six months and I was very fortunate to have the six months, but I didn't just sit on my ass and watch television. Right. That's, that's not going to get me back into the game. I took over household chores. You basically were in training. Yeah. To yeah. go back to work. I was in training to go back to work. And I know it sounds funny. Feel free to laugh. But I decided that my job was to take care of the house and complete my wife's honey-do list. And she left me a list every single day. And part of that, and here's the part I don't want you to laugh at, was getting up at the same time every day. My alarm went off and I got up, took a shower, put on clothes. And uh, you're thinking, okay, so you took a shower to clean the house? Yes, I did. Yeah. Because that was, that's part of my normal routine when I get back to work. Now, many days I did not complete the list. Many days I spent four hours in the shower, not literally just to get there. It was just, you know, I'd have to rest. It was a problem, uh, but I was always, always trying. But here's the thing, Dr. Nicole, I knew that I was ready to go back to work because it, about the six month mark, I, I was springing out of bed. I was taking a shower. I was getting dressed and I was getting this, this honey do list done in like an hour. Right. If you're at home every day and you don't have children, you, you can run through almost any list in an hour, especially six months later. Uh, my wife would come home and she'd be like, what'd you do all day? And I was like, you know what? Not a lot. And she's like, it's time to go back to work. <laughs> and that brings me to step two of the plan. I realized that I could no longer do these high pressure jobs. 
I, I couldn't have people screaming at me. I, I couldn't have networks going down. I couldn't have alarms going off. I needed something very low key. So I went out and found a low key job. It had a flex schedule. It was during the day. I started out at 30 hours a week with health insurance. It took some doing, but but it was out there and I, I did find it. I built from there, but it was a dramatic pay cut and it was hard. It was very hard. We, we had to change our lifestyle up, but you know, listen, all the money in the world isn't worth it if you don't have your health or if you die. And I didn't want to risk my mental health in this way, but but I, I don't want anybody to hear, Oh, it was super easy. I just took a giant pay cut and went on and yay. No, it sucked. It sucked hard. Yeah, it is hard, but you have to look at the bigger picture. You said earlier that you, you walked out on a job, right? You walked out. It affected your ability to get other jobs like that because news travels. A lot of times in certain industries, depending on how large of a city you're in, people know each other. They call up like, hey, this Gabe Howard's applying for a job over here. And they're like, oh, that guy, he walked out on us. And you said it, your employers don't care about your illness. They need you to get the job done. Ultimately, you did yourself a greater disservice by going back to that higher paying job than if you had gone the other way. So we have to think about the bigger picture and kind of take our egos out of it and be willing to kind of humble a little bit. And this happens for people with physical health concerns that that they can't go back to the kind of jobs they were used to. This happens to people for a variety of reasons, not just mental illness. But I just want you to hear me say I support people 100 percent in returning to work. But sometimes folks get mad at me when I say, are you sure that this is the kind of job that's going to be great for you? Because you just told me that you're very irritable and people talking to you are being overstimulated, really upset to you. This doesn't sound like a great fit. I think you have to be willing to listen to those around you and ask for advice from people that you know care about you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi there, I'm Faye McRae, Editor-in-Chief of Psych Central. Whether you're looking for free resources, quizzes, or thought-provoking personal perspectives, Psych Central has what you need to join you on your mental health journey. Psych Central's talented team of award-winning writers, editors, and medical professionals are passionate about creating a safe, inclusive, and trustworthy environment where you feel seen and heard. Visit us now at psychcentral.com. That's psychcentral.com. And we're back discussing a return to work with bipolar disorder. I do see a lot of people who I think give up too soon. I think they continue to try, but maybe they're trying not the right kind of jobs, too intense. Maybe the plan isn't quite rock solid. And then when they don't have success, they say, well, I guess I might as well just go. I don't think people out there should say, oh, 
oh, well, I'm not ever going to go back to work. I'm just going to apply for disability. If you need it, that's great. But I I, I do want to encourage people to go ahead and seek out the right kind of job. Because I do think there's value in managing your mental health, whether it's bipolar disorder or whatever else it is. There's value in getting up every day and having something to do, contributing to the world in some way. I think that helps your self-esteem. It helps your confidence. I know many people who live with disability because of bipolar disorder, and I completely understand why they do that if they're not able to work full time, especially since that's where they're getting their health insurance. They need health insurance. But the ones who are doing the best and the people who I meet who have the best quality of life who are living with disability... They're doing something else. They have a part-time job because they're allowed to make a certain amount of money. They have a volunteer job. They're active in their communities, their churches. They become stay-at-home parents and are they're always the room parent. They're the ones always volunteering to drive. Or they become super active with nieces, nephews. They, they offer to provide care for other family members. The point is, is that they're doing something. And they're doing something that has real value to them and to the people around them. And this becomes what they're known for. There is a plethora of things that you can do with disability. And I strongly encourage people to explore those because the the confidence boost alone is worth the price of admission. Yeah, it's just not all or none. It's not like I get up every day and do stuff or I'm on disability. Like there are really a lot of things you could get involved in. Your local NAMI chapters are always looking for people to help them go out and do the Lord's work in the community uh, and advocating for those with uh, mental illness. Your local mental health association, if you have a clubhouse in your area that you can become a member, clubhouses are fantastic ways to get up and get out and do things. There are work programs. There's part-time work, like Gabe said. Just getting up, And getting out, people's moods are so much better. It's really hard for people to say, yeah, I feel like I'm in a good space if they have nothing to look forward to. As you get more comfortable with the part-time job, with the volunteer responsibilities, with whatever it is you're doing with your life, you, you build up, you build up confidence, you build up resiliency, you build up experience. And I know many people who have been able to transition from disability to full-time work because of these experiences. Yeah. I love this story, but I, I have to tell it. I don't have permission to use her name. She just asked me to just, just call her person. She got a part-time job at Sam's club. 15 years ago when she was on disability, worked 15 hours a week, 15 years later, she's now a manager. She makes an incredible salary and she just won an award where she gets to go to Vegas and she's going to be honored and get a plaque. And the majority of the people that she talked to, they, they don't realize that when she started that job, she was on disability. Right. They, they didn't know. They just thought that she was a part-time worker that came in, but she was able to parlay that into this incredible career one step at a time. Listen, you can't win the game if you're not in it. No. And if you're sitting at home, you're you're probably not in it. And it's not good for your mental health. It's definitely not good for your career. Get up, get moving, get going. Good things will happen very, very slowly. Slow is the key. Sometimes we just move too fast. We want to go from part-time employee to managing the store in six months. And that's just not how it works. And then if it doesn't happen, we're like, oh, 
guess I'm just relegated to being on disability forever. And I will be the first one to say the disability system is so jacked up, just beyond words, so jacked up. Uh, Because I really think that we really don't encourage people to get back to work, right? Because we're going to rip your insurance away. It can be very scary to face not having insurance. So I just want everybody to hear me say, I know it sucks. The system is terrible, but slow and steady, slow and steady. I remember all those years ago when I, I took the, the massive pay cut and I lost my house. And, and by losing, I, I sold it and moved into an apartment. I don't want anybody to think that I came home and it was gone. It was hard. I lived in a house. I, I had a nice job. And, and suddenly I'm living in a 600 square foot apartment. But it was mine, right? It, it was mine. I, I hung on to it. In, in some ways, that apartment was meaningful to me because I earned it. Now that the house was meaningful too, but there was just something about this apartment, right? Because it it symbolized stability. It was a stronger foundation than the house was. I always lived in constant fear that I was going to lose the house because of my medical conditions and not being able to hold down a job and, and constantly getting fired or walking out or quitting because of panic attacks. It was it was terrifying. Whereas the apartment it was stable. And that stability was worth way more than the house. Even though I had to go to a laundromat, Dr. Nicole, I don't like laundromats. Like I I hate laundromats. Laundromats are terrible, but still that foundation, the stability and the foundation of that apartment is how I built the rest of my life. And, And I did slowly move up. It took many, many years, but if you gotta get older anyway, you might as well be moving up in your career as well. If you don't do anything, you're still going to get older. Facts. Drop the mic. <laughs> I can. It's expensive. Facts. Come on. You Drop know better now. Healthline Media will not tolerate that. Drop the mic. Drop I want everybody mic. from Healthline to know that was just a joke. <laughs> that was good stuff. Dr. Nicole was not advocating <laughs> that I break your equipment. We apologize. That was good. (laughs) Yes, we want Gabe to keep his job. We don't want Gabe to be on the other end of this looking for a job thing. Listen, Dr. Nicole, one of the things that was really hard for me when I when I did go back to work, I, I did start small, but I, I had to explain on my resume, and, and you, your mileage may vary, not, not everybody is the same, but I had these higher end jobs, right, that, that paid very, very well. And then I had a stretch of time where I had no jobs. And then I had a stretch of times where I had significantly lower end jobs. And I would walk into an interview and people would naturally be curious about this. Right. That what happened? Why were you off work? What were you doing? Now, I would love to say that the answer is you just look them in the eyes and say, hey, I had serious and persistent mental illness. I had bipolar disorder. I was sick. I took care of myself. I'm better now. And yay. And everybody would be like, that's good. I'm glad you got better. I'm sorry that happened to you. Don't do that. That is not the right yeah. answer. 10 out of 10. Do not recommend. Do not recommend. <laughs> yeah, we do not recommend that. Do not recommend. What I recommend is doing something called a skills resume where you put all of your skills on and it's devoid of dates, right? So instead of saying, I had this job from this date to this date, you just put, I've, I've got this skill set. I hold this certification or I've got this degree of a, a high school diploma. I worked for these companies. Again, you don't put the dates on them and you provide references available on request. This clears up this glaring void of, hey, why didn't you work for two years? Also, since it's a skills resume, you only put things that are in relation to that skill. So my job at Walmart 
it wasn't relevant. So I could leave it off and nobody said, Hey, what, what did you do between this time? A lot of times people don't even ask why. And listen, depending on how old you are, this is a common thing that people over the age of 35 do to avoid age discrimination so that somebody sees it and and they don't know how old they are. It's an imperfect world, ladies and gentlemen. But you know, most of the time people just don't care. It seemed like the majority of the time interviewers asked about the gap because they were staring at the gap. Once it was removed and used the skills resume, nobody seemed to care because, hey, interviewers are people too, and they just want to know if you can do the job. And if you can, and you put your best foot forward, and you show up not smelling, they're pretty happy with you. But if they do ask you for dates, because some applications are online, and they do make you put in, you worked from here to here to there to there, and they do have it. So I would say if you're going in for an interview at a place where you have documented gaps and they know about them, just know how you're going to answer the question if they ask. It also matters how you answer. So if they ask you, oh, so I see you had a six-month gap here. If you start stammering and stuttering over your words and sounding like you're making up stuff on the fly, that's going to be suspicious, right? But if you say, yeah, that's a really great question. You know, during this particular time, I had some things going on and I ended up not being able to dedicate my attention to full-time work. And so just be prepared on how you're going to answer. I think the fact that they bring you in for an interview after seeing those gaps already lets us know they're interested, right? So the gaps maybe weren't a deal breaker, prepare ahead of time and sound confident in your answer, I think goes a long way compared to if I ask you and you go, well, uh, well, um, you know, if you kind of go through all of that, I'm going to think, oh my gosh, Gabe's lying. What I practiced saying was, was some version of this phrase. I said, I had a medical condition I had to take care of. I'm perfectly fine now. And now I'm ready to get back to work. Yeah. And I I just said it exactly like that. They're not allowed to ask follow-up questions about your medical. So that is done. I've talked to other people who have said things like caring for a sick relative, doing childcare. I'm a real big believer in not lying because once you get the job, it could bite you in the ass later. Uh, So, you know, just, just be careful with that. Don't, don't make something up out of whole cloth because again, you're building a solid foundation and moving forward. You get to tell the story. You get to drive the narrative. If your answer comes out smooth and polished, it just sounds a whole lot better. And I think you'll be much better off. But yeah, lying is probably not going to get you anywhere. Like you can't say you were given childcare and then later on somebody say, hey, Gabe, what about your kids? And you're like, I don't have kids. <laughs> I don't have kids. The advantage to not lying is you don't have to remember anything. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> You're like, oh, those kids. Oh, yeah, they're great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they're good. To tie this all up in a nice little bow, do something. Routines are very important. And listen, if you have to start over, be angry, be mad. I completely understand why, if you're at the top of your career and you have to take several steps down, you would be angry. It's okay to be angry. But remember, a journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. You built yourself up once and you can do it again. Thanks everybody for listening. My name is Gabe Howard and I am the author of Mental Illnesses and Asshole and Other Observations. You can get it on Amazon or you can get a signed copy with free swag by heading over to my website, gabehoward.com. And I'm Dr. Nicole Washington. You can find me on all social media platforms at Dr. Nicole Syke to see all the things I have my hand in at any given moment. 
And hey, can you do Dr. Nicole and I a favor? Wherever you downloaded this episode, please follow or subscribe. It is absolutely free. And also tell somebody about this show, social media, email, text messages, or good old fashioned word of mouth. Sharing the show is how we grow. We will see everybody next Monday on Inside Bipolar. You've been listening to Inside Bipolar from Healthline Media and PsychCentral.com. Have feedback for the show? Email us at show at psychcentral.com. Previous episodes can be found at psychcentral.com slash IBP or on your favorite podcast player. Thank you for listening.